The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. What will a Liberal Party win mean for the LGBT plus Canadians? We discuss this uh, with our LGBTQ panel coming up after 10.15. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. You can also email me anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. So I want to come back, swing back around to last night's, uh, the last text of the night last night which was, what's the difference between a pervert and a sex addict? And I described what a sex addict was, uh, but had a little bit of trouble with the word uh, pervert, because we don't use that terminology anymore. In my field, it, it used to be known as sexual perversions or sexual deviations, which are now known as paraphilias. But I just want to uh, talk a little bit about what it means. First of all, the word perverse, if you look at it in the dictionary, is uh, turned away from what is right or good, uh, or uh, another word for it, corrupt or improper or incorrect or contrary to the evidence or the direction of the judge on a point of law, another uh, definition. So really, when we look at and when we understand perversion, what we're looking at is a type of human behavior that deviates from that which we understand to be normal. But, you know, there's a lot of things that some people think are normal and not normal. Um, but it can refer to a variety of forms of deviation. But here's what it's mostly used to describe. Mostly used to describe sexual behaviors that are considered particularly abnormal, repulsive, or obsessive. And one person had wrote, yeah, that, that guy who looks under the bathroom, um, you know, the bathroom doors, that would be a definition of a pervert. But if we look at paraphilia for a moment, what, what we mean by paraphilia in the, in the DSM, which is our, our, basically our psychiatric Bible, is the experience of intense sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals, like uh, attractions to certain things. Like there's there's a whole bunch of, of paraphilic disorders. But basically, we're talking about recurrent, intensely sexually arousing fantasies, urges, behaviors generally involving non-human objects, the suffering or humiliation of oneself or one's partner, children, or non-consenting persons. So I just wanted to give you the kind of the official, uh, the official uh, definition of what it was, even though I pretty much said, said this last night, but I wanted to circle back and make sure we were all uh, on the same page on that one. All right. My son is almost 11 years old. When I grew up, my parents gave me the books, What's Happening to Me and Where Did I Come From? Uh, can you recommend some more modern books for me to give to him to learn about his imminent puberty? So I still like the book, What's Happening to Me. I think it's really, really good. Uh, I think it's still very relevant. It's a You're talking about a basic book on puberty, which 
it really doesn't change from year to year. This is how puberty works. So that's uh, that's really good. Where did I come from? Also, a very elementary book on uh, on how to make you know how babies are made. But there is a a good book for teenagers that I love, and uh, the author's name is Jane Pavanel. P a v a n e l. It's this little green book called The Sex Book, and it was made. Uh, for teenagers, and she put it together by uh, holding focus groups of teenagers to find out what it was that they would, uh, what are the questions that that they have, and that's how she came up with this book. So maybe your son at 11 is maybe a little too young, but I would say in the next uh, year or two, that's a book that you can certainly give him. I would start with what's happening to me and then, and then continue uh, with that one. Uh, hi, doctor. Why are women shaving their vagina? It seems that this is common, like some kind of fad. Uh, I think it's more than a fad, considering that this has been going on for quite some time. And genital beauty, if I can call it that, or genital grooming, often determined by uh, what we see in the media, mostly pornography. So it, at one time, Bush was in, and you could see this in all the old uh, porn movies. And then at some point, I'm not even sure when at some point, but you started to see women completely groomed, like completely shaved, and that became the norm where you no longer see any like not a one hair uh, anywhere, pubic hair. But what I'm understanding is that that may be coming back. So uh, why is it? I think people follow trends of like beauty trends. It's like at one time, you know, women wore hair in flips. That was the style. Well, you don't see too many of those around anymore. Uh, So yes, there's, uh, there's beauty even when it comes to uh, a grooming. Also manscaping, like you're seeing more and more men shaving uh, their genital area as well, down to no hairs either. Now, pornography is responsible for some of that. Uh, strip clubs, uh, you see that as well. Uh, so it also because it makes the penis appear bigger, uh, longer when uh, you take away a lot of that the, the pubic hair. So it's not just a female thing. It's not just a vagina thing. It's also a, a male thing. Uh, just got burned by a narcissist. Please explain why they are such toxic relationships. Uh, I talked about that uh, last week about narcissism and how, you know, narcissistic narcissists have an inflated sense of self and and uh, uh, these illusions or delusions of grandeur. They think they're better than everybody else. They're generally very selfish. It's a it's about what what's good for them. So you don't have to go far to see why they are toxic relationships. They're toxic for the person who is with the narcissist generally because their whole life tends to revolve around the wants and desires of their narcissistic partner or walking on eggshells for fear of triggering a response from uh, a negative response from the narcissistic uh, partner as well. So uh, I don't think you need to, to really go that far to see why it's so toxic. 
Um, I have a 17-year-old and found birth control pills in her purse. I confronted her, and she claims because of, she's on it because of her period and says she's not sexually active. I don't believe her. I'm concerned that I find her uh, too moody and wondering, is this the cause or is she being a typical uh, teenager? I'm also concerned that she's too young uh, for being on the pill instead of maybe using another form of contraception if she is active. Uh, I also want to know at what age uh, should she go to see um, a gynecologist. So, of course, I understand uh, the concern of parents who, you know, discover discover this. But we also have to look at the statistics. The average age of first-time intercourse is actually 17 years old. So whether she shares that information, doesn't share that information, maybe it's she is that sexually active, maybe she's not. But be glad that she's being responsible around uh, pregnancy prevention. I think that's really important. So as a parent, we have to really try hard not to be judgmental uh, or it will be very hard for her to share anything with you. In terms of moodiness, um, it's true. Teenage years, full of moodiness, lots of hormones there uh, during this time of growth. And uh, it can you know, keep moods going up and down and, and what have you. So when it comes to teens, though, I always say keep an eye out for depression or anxiety or something uh, more, uh, more severe than, than uh, just moodiness. Um, she doesn't need to see a gynecologist if her GP is prescribing the pill, which, by the way, she's not too young to be on. Um, and uh, and then she should see a gynecologist probably around the age of twenty one if she is sexually active. Again, the book a book for her that would be all would be great to get her would be the Sex Book by Jane Pavanel. There's another book by Joni Aredia that's called Sex Boys and You, which is also uh, really good. So there's uh, there's some good resources out there that you could just buy and put in her room. Coming up, our LGBTQ panel discusses politics and LGBTQ issues. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Talk a little bit of politics and the uh, impact on the LGBTQ community tonight. Uh, that's part of what we will do. Uh, first, let me just get to this question. Interesting how you spend so much time discussing narcissists. How about talking about people who are only attracted to narcissists? Uh, you're right. Uh, you know, I, I could talk about that for a whole hour. And I thought I did talk about that on past shows, which you might look up on podcasts. I'm going to check. If I didn't, then it will be a, full, a, a whole hour that I will talk about that on one of our uh, relationship shows. So how about that? I promise you we'll talk about why people are attracted to narcissists and uh, and do that side of it as well. But right now, I want to focus on our LGBTQ panel. Uh, in studio with us, we have David Hawkins, who's the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 Plus Community Center or Center. Uh, we have Bill Ryan, who's a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate with us. So welcome, Hello gentlemen. Right, thank you for having us. So before I get to politics, I have to ask you this question. Question, and maybe you know, I did not know the answer to this, but last night somebody asked me that they were very intrigued. They've always been intrigued about gay male strip clubs where men dance naked exclusively for other men, where women aren't allowed to go unless it's a ladies' night. But they want to know, are there any female strip clubs where women dance naked exclusively for other women and where no men are allowed? 
Not that I'm aware of. Okay, that's what I, I that was my answer as yeah. well. Do you know? I think, of any? I think you're asking the wrong crowd here. <clears throat> well, okay, I'm asking to the two gay guys, <laughs> no, but, but still. <laughs> but it's very sexualized spaces. No, sexualized spaces. Women for women are very, very rare. It's even hard in Montreal, a city of four million people, to keep a bar open for women. Really? Yes. Mm. Yes. Well, women don't drink. And bars depend women on. Women don't drink. They don't drink near Some as much. Some women as, drink. Well, but not near as much as men, and not near as as heavily as men. And so um, keeping a bar open for women in Montreal has generally meant having a space in a bar that's mostly men, a men's bar mm-hmm. and uh, subsidizing sort of by men buying and, and spending right. um, the space that women occupy. But it's every single bar that's open for women in the city has gone under. Really? Yes. So do you think it's because it's not the play? It's not where women go to meet other women, like where gay women meet go to meet other women. I've noticed that they have far greater social circles, so yes. they usually meet one another through their networks. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Rather than the bar scene. Yes, and still in 2019 in Canada, women earn significantly less than men on average. So two women earn significantly less than two men mm. on average. So less spending and money. And so there's less. Spending money. Women often tend to have children as well, which means money is being spent on other things. Mm-hmm. All right. All, a good uh, perspective that I didn't really see. So what do you think about the uh, the election? I think it's time to, to talk about the impact on the LGBT plus community. I think there was a bit of a sigh of, uh, of relief. I think there was a great big phew. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know a lot of people are saying we dodged a major bullet this time around. What uh, give me some of your feedback and why? Well, uh, well how how is the Liberal Party good for? Well, the Liberal Party, um, in terms of um, Canadian politics, has been the party in power. This last government of Justin Trudeau that has done more, more often and more fully than any government has ever done in our history in terms of rectifying past wrongs. Uh, making sure legislation is not discriminatory, funding LGBTQ organizations, issuing an apology for past abuse by the police and the state, mm-hmm. in which thousands of people lost their jobs in the, up until the 1960s mm-hmm. for being LGBT. Um, and um, that has been rectified in great part. Other governments started that process, but um, Trudeau's government uh, f- completed most of it. And during the election campaign, actually, there were town halls held across Canada in major centers where we asked candidates from every party to present their platforms. Mm. And the Conservative Party of Canada never sent anyone to any of the town halls, and Mm. they have absolutely no platform regarding gender and sexual diversity, Mm. which, you know, is like... They have no platform, basically, for climate change. And uh, so people, you know, I I would be very surprised if LGBTQ people voted in anything but extremely small numbers for the Conservative Mm -hmm. Party. I I know a lot of people who are saying that they were um, expecting the worst but hoping for the best. A lot of people were just kind of, I think, watching the course of politics for the past, like, five, six years and the direction it's been going in. And a lot of people, I think, in the LGBTQ community, at least a lot of the people in my circles, were saying that we were voting for NDP and we were voting for Green, but that we were still very much aware that the the Conservatives ran the risk of having a majority or having a minority government. And I think there were a lot of people who were actually really afraid of the kind of the sudden rise of the PPC. Nobody expected that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of us were very afraid of seeing that come to term in, in actual seats. So to actually have no PPC members elected to elected I'm not to even sure and, what was their platform on nothing. on LG. So they, yeah. they didn't they address no it at all. No, okay. no. 
but um, for them to get no seats and then for the conservatives to still not be um, the ones forming the government, I think is huge leaps and bounds ahead of what a lot of queer people and a lot of people who are part of this community were afraid of. Hmm. Yes, and I, I think too that the um, the inability of Stephen Shear to say anything um, that wasn't just kind of mumbling Andrew about... Scheer. You did it again. I did again. that last time, too. You did it, too. But I was calling him Harper. Harper, yeah. Yes. Uh, Andrew Shear to say anything other than mumbling about his his position on same-sex marriage and on women's reproductive rights, I think, just kind of convinced people, because those two issues go together, and mm-hmm. convinced people that this party, the Conservative Party, has to do a lot of evolving before it's going to represent mainstream Canadian views and particularly uh, represent the views of LGBTQ2 Canadians. Right. Well, I know uh, the Liberal Party promised to spend about ten million dollars a year over three years to help the uh, to help organizations yeah. like like yours, uh, yeah. David. Right, the community organizations to expand services, which is good. They also pledged to end the ban on blood donation by men who have sex with men. Yes. Um, or overdue. Yeah, I'm. Yes. I'm sure. That's that's uh, that's a hard promise for them though, because it's not. It's ultimately not in their power to do that okay. because blood services are independent. Ah. And mm-hmm. so he can, Trudeau can put moral pressure on the mm-hmm. boards that are in control of the policies related to blood donations. And he did in the last term and actually had the parameters reduced. But um, that's one in which he's going to have to exercise a lot of moral authority. Okay. What about this one? Uh, they vowed to amend the criminal code to ban conversion therapy. That's a big one for us. Okay. Yeah. That's a big one for us. And, uh, and we're seeing it happen now right across the country in municipal jurisdictions and some provinces. But uh, we actually want uh, the criminal code to reflect the fact that uh, providing, offering treatments that are unethical and uh, scientifically invalid um, to people uh, should be a criminal offense. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so this texture writes in, I guess, uh, with regards to uh, strip clubs. I feel it is sexist, especially since we are becoming more trans-friendly globally. Why are we stopping women from going to a strip club? They should at least be allowed to enter the bar, even if not close to the stage. But I guess we're talking about gay male strip clubs here. I mean, w- women can go to female, uh, to, to strip clubs where, where males go. Yes, like with women dancing yes. on stage, so they they're they're not stopped from so gay women could go potentially. Yes, yes. Although you know, I'm in agreement with the uh, with the texture. I think that um, spaces that are restricted are discriminatory. And there was a fairly well-known lawsuit here a couple of years ago against a bar not far from this radio station, actually, where women were refused service on their outside terrace at noon hour when they wanted to go for lunch and a beer. Mm. They went to the Human Rights Commission, and the Human Rights Commission said that the practice was illegal under Quebec human rights laws. You know, So bars can create environments that men are more comfortable in than women, and, and in that way may attract more men than women, but they should not be able to say at the door, no women allowed. Yeah, and and I think the the other interesting thing is this kind of this conversation has been progressing a lot over the past couple of years, um, just in terms of talking about forwarding people's independent rights, and while it's progressing in terms of the dialogue within the community and just kind of the general conversations that we are having in society, um, I think it is kind of a shame that a lot of these businesses they do tend to fall a little bit behind and it takes them the time to catch up. Um, I think 
I well rather I hope that we'll see that change coming in the next couple of years uh, to be more inclusive and accepting of everyone, but it remains to be seen. I think we need uh, advocacy for that. Somebody wrote in, I don't know if this is true, there are many gay men who hate women. They don't want them in their spaces. Is that true? Well, I think that it reflects a certain generational perspective that there is some truth in, unfortunately, because a lot of gay men of older generations were conditioned to believe that they were gay because they were repelled by women. Mm. And um, some of them bought into that. I don't think that's true at all among people who are, uh, you know, several of the several younger generations and certainly the youngest generation. That's not true at all. Right. Because we frame ourselves in much more positive terms. Mm. But um, yes, I think there's a certain there's a certain truth in that that's probably dying off generationally, but uh, has been there historically, yes. Right. Uh, straight men cannot go to Club 281 without the company of a woman. And, oh, and then he said, sorry, I meant gay men, Club 281. So All, all, all men. I, all I, men. It's yeah, not I, a gay I, or straight, yeah. I went uh, for a friend of mine's 18th birthday, and uh, I don't know if the rule is still the same, but it was kind of, there had to be more women in the party than guys. Um, so by chance, there were three men who went to that party. All three of us were gay, um, but we basically had to have a chaperone to get in. Right, a Which was, I think, chaperone. interesting. I right. think that was like an interesting flip on on the standard dynamic. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple more texts about that, but I also want to turn it over to, uh, to the American politics because, uh, well, the LGBTQ issues, you know, it trickles in, right? It trickles in when we hear all of that. It has an effect on us. So we'll discuss that with our LGBTQ panel, Bill Ryan and David Hawkins, coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. It's our LGBTQ night tonight, and we're getting a lot of texts about strip clubs. Who knew they were popular or that unpopular? I don't know. Uh, this person writes, I'm a gay man in my 50s. The very mention of gay male strip clubs reminds me of why I stopped going to them 20 years ago. The majority of the dancers are not gay. They are now referred to as gay for pay. It deflates, no pun, the spirit of going there. And uh, I have heard that, that uh, many of them will, will go and they'll flirt and, and dance as if they are interested, but they are not. They are, they are in fact, straight men. And an, an awful lot, an awful lot of gay and bisexual men will actually go to bars because they're straight men dancing, and not men who are identified as being gay. So, you know, everybody has their own options and their preferences, own right? And for some men, it's just the fact that men are there that's good enough, right? You know. Just men, men are dancing. Naked men. Yes. yes. <laughs> and right. And, very in, naked and men. in Quebec, they're very naked. They're very it's naked. It's not like in any other place in the States or what have you where the women, you, they do not take off their bottoms. Their tops, yes, but not their bottoms. Right. So right. I don't know if that has changed uh, recently, but here uh, we've had pretty naked, mm -hmm. naked for a very long yes. time. Both men and women. Both dances. men and yes. women. Right. Uh, regarding strip, strip clubs, I am a, an AFAB trans individual. David? Uh, so AFAB stands for Assigned Female at Birth. So I'm an Assigned Female at Birth trans individual. I feel that it's okay for gay men to have a safe space as much as it is for women and non-binary people to have safe, safe spaces reserved for them. Even if it's just for one day a week where women aren't allowed in. I don't like the... 
I don't know why it says the big frog. I don't know if it's a big throng of straight women making a spectacle of gay men as those exist just for their entertainment. Then again, one of my biggest pet peeves is bachelorette parties at gay bars in the village. How true. Yeah. I've, I've walked in, in the village in the summer and I, I do see like, you know, groups of women like bat, a, a bachelorette party what are they doing in the gay village well, <laughs> I often it's, wondered. it's a point of contention in the village and particularly before same-sex marriage was adopted as a law and a right in this country when you had young heterosexual couples parading through the village asking for money from gay men to pay for their wedding ceremony it oh, caused right. yes it because they be, they also beg for money i know and, it's one of those things like i'll give you a lollipop if you give me two dollars yes, or whatever yes. it is. Yeah. and they go often to the um, drag shows and um there's a sense of of being invaded mm. and becoming a spectacle and having people come to look that um, rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, I, I've mm. gone. I've gone to shows over the past couple of years, and I used to be very regular uh, customer at places like Cabaret Meadow. I used to go every Saturday, which every are drag Friday, shows, right? Which are mm-hmm. drag shows. And then over the past three or four years, every time we go, we don't even get a chance to sit because all the tables have been reserved for like different bridal showers and things like that. And I have, I've seen queens at multiple places actually stop shows and say that like certain parties have to calm down because you can't hear what they're saying you can't hear the jokes that they're making you can't hear their spiels um i've i have seen brides and bridal showers like getting up and dancing right in the very front row and those of us who have have no choice but to stand because all the tables have been taken for Mm -hmm. these reservations get stuck standing in the back not even able to see anything so i can see where the resentment might creep up. I'm going to be the devil's advocate to what I just said myself a few moments ago. And that is that one of the phenomena we're seeing, and on on many levels, I'm really happy about that, is that spaces are becoming open to everyone. And so again, the village is having some difficulty because an awful lot of younger LGBTQ2 people just go out with their friends where their friends go, whether it's in whatever suburb is in or whatever part of the Mm -hmm. city it's in, because those spaces aren't violent places anymore Anymore. in reaction to LGBTQ2 people. So So the village is suffering and they need to have the straight people coming there too, to buy their food and eat their restaurants and and all that stuff. And if we go in their spaces, then we also have to welcome them in our spaces. Right. Okay, good good point. That is the uh, very rational voice of Bill Ryan. He's a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate. Also on our panel is David Hawkins, the director of the West Island LGBTQ Center. Uh, makes a lot of sense. All right, can we move on to American politics? I know you love to talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> Who That's my favorite thing. I know, eh? your on. favorite thing. So apparently, uh, so Donald Trump addressed the United Nations General Assembly in New York where he said that he stands in solidarity with LGBTQ people, um, but I guess just not American LGBTQ people. Anyway, he was discussing human rights advocacy when he brought up uh, LGBTQ. He says, as we defend American values, we affirm the right of all people to live in dignity. For this reason, my administration is working with other nations to stop criminalizing homosexuality, and we stand in solidarity with LGBTQ people who live in countries that punish, jail, or execute individuals based upon sexual orientation. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? Sure does. You know, <laughs> he's the least anti-Semitic, he's the least racist, he's the least sexist, and the smartest person on the planet. Okay, now. Uh, <laughs> all right. However, however, the Trump administration banned U.S. embassies around the world from flying the rainbow flag. 
He denied visas to LGBTQ people trying to escape violence in Chechnya. He tried to remove transgender inclusive language from UN resolutions on violence. And multiple trans women seeking asylum in the U.S. have died in uh, government custody. Uh, so what, what else? Um, he has attempted, and only the courts have stopped him, to expel 18,000 trans service people from the American Armed Forces to deny treatment related to um, gender uh, corrective surgery and um, HIV medication to armed service personnel who are uh, HIV positive. He has just recently broken a United Nations convention because the UN is in New York City, which um, uh, he no longer extends the um, right of same-sex spouses to accompany their diplomatic partners to the United Nations as residents of the United States, which is a clear contravention of Whoa. the United States United Nations Convention. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's, he talks through both sides of his mouth and he says one thing one day and one day the next, and he panders to the right-wing evangelical crowd in the United States, which is rapidly homophobic and rapidly sexist and rapidly racist. Hmm. Wow. What about, uh, there was another headline, and maybe you can uh, make sense of this, but LGBTQ people have a lot at stake in Donald Trump's impeachment. I mean, I, th I think we just kind of covered a lot of that. Like, <laughs> those are all very valid reasons as to why people in, in this community would have a major stake in the impeachment processes. Yeah. I, th I think anyone who has minority status in the United States, African Americans, LGBTQ mm -hmm. people, indigenous people, immigrants, refugees, uh, and, and I could add many more to that list, uh, are, are very vulnerable to this administration because they're, this administration runs on hatred. Except that if he's impeached and Mike Pence succeeds he won't him, be any better. are yep. you kidding me? He has uh, a long history of working against LGBTQ yep. interests, right? Yes, so, so arguably, I think it might even uh, be I'm not, worse. It might be. This is why I'm saying it might not be so good for the LGBTQ no. community if Trump gets impeached. No, but no vice president who's ever succeeded a president has ever won the succeeding election, the, oh. the following elections. So. God, you know so much about politics. <laughs> so I just Pence love will not last long. Man, uh, coming up, we'll also talk about Facebook, who has made a lot of money in advertising revenue from anti-LGBT uh, hate groups. We'll talk about that with our LGBTQ panel coming up after. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight we've got in studio uh, Bill Ryan, who is a McGill professor and LGBTQ advocate, along with David Hawkins, who is the director of the West Island LGBTQ Center. Uh, we're talking about all kinds of stuff, a lot of politics, but just before we, we, we talked about Canadian politics, American politics, Bill, you're our expert here. Uh, what's going on internationally? Any, any Anything new we should know about in, in terms of the LGBTQ issues? Well, just this week, um, Northern Ireland became the last component of the United Kingdom to recognize the right to marriage of same-sex couples and also the, to recognize the right of women to terminate pregnancies. Mm. And uh, that was after a long battle when Northern Ireland resisted uh, the law when it was changed for um, England, Scotland, and Wales. Uh, and uh, that's fairly important. That's on the good side. On the on the negative side, um, just this week, and I, I know about this because I'm friends with people there, um, uh, an organization in Uganda that um, works on promoting gender and sexual diversity and acceptance 
Um, is that that we had the representative yes, from there here yes, on Junich our show, was here right? Mm-hmm. Two, it'd be two years ago or, this summer. Oh, two years ago already. Yes. Okay. And um, actually, there was a group of refugees who are LGBT in uh, Uganda who were attacked by a mob, and one of them was hacked to death with an axe. Oh my goodness! And the mob then went to the offices of the organization, um, which I referred to. Um, and surrounded the office and started chanting that they were going to kill everyone inside. And the um, the uh, personnel called the police. And when the police arrived, they arrested all of the personnel in the office and not anyone in the mob. Oh, wow. And they have been holding people now in jail for 72 hours without access to a lawyer and without access to uh, human rights organizations and only the intervention of um, some countries like the United States which the Trump administration says they're in favor of recognition of same of LGBT rights in the world but they have not intervened yet Mm -hmm. Um, but some countries like Denmark have been trying to intervene to get these people released from jail but um, there are places in the world where your life is in imminent danger danger 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day And that doesn't mean that there isn't violence in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, but uh, we don't know. We have no grasp of what's happening in much of the world where people's lives are are constantly on the line. Shouldn't we be accepting these refugees with open arms? We do, in Canada. Canada does Mm -hmm. accept LGBTQ refugees as legitimate refugees, but not many countries in the world do yet. Right. Uh, Texter writes in, I think, uh, more about the clubs and the exclusionary thing. I've heard people in a karaoke bar in the village say things along the lines of, oh, why do straight people come here? I can understand the idea of wanting a special space, but more importantly, straight people in the village shows a sense of unity. Also, how do we know that those straight people are not bisexual? We should all be able to coexist in society. It seems the closeted are the ones that could be misogynistic because of the added frustration of not being able to be themselves. The more flamboyant someone is, the more I get along with them and find that gay men are more authentic in their affection than straight men. That's actually quite well said. I I agree we should all be able to coexist. And in terms of... um, you know, gay men being more authentic. There, there, there's less fear about uh, being touchy-feely, whereas a straight man may have a little bit of a harder time for for fear of being, uh, you know, maybe I, called out or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I can understand. I do agree. I think we should all be inclusive to everybody in all spaces. But I think the, the thing that's important to note about us, like places like the Montreal Gay Village is even though society, in, in, at least in, here in Quebec, and in Montreal, more specifically, we are it's much more open and people can be openly LGBTQ across the city. Um, we all still live every day as still being a little bit concerned about having to um, hide some of our personality or hide some of who we are because we never exactly know who's in a space with us. And mm, so the village is one of those places point. we can actually uh, really be our authentic selves. And I think even going back to the idea of like the whole bridal shower issue that we were talking about before... Um, it, I think a lot of times what frustrates people who are part of the community are seeing people who are very clear, who are very open about being straight, kind of coming in and dominating these spaces and not being aware of exactly what kind of service that these spaces offer to people who are part so of the So they're not community. necessarily allies. They're coming in as, like you said, Bill, as a spectacle. Yeah. Sometimes. It, it becomes uh, that rather than, oh, I, you know, I, I'm here in solidarity I, I think to too, support. Sorry. Yeah. 
I think too there's an historical component to this, and that is that mm-hmm. and in my lifetime, I remember when even in the bars we were not safe. And that in this village in Montreal, people would come into the bars with chains and baseball bats mm. and they would just start attacking people or they would wait outside with chains and baseball mm-hmm. bats when you were leaving to go to your car. And so I, I think that when we're talking about kind of the vulnerability that people still experience, as, as was just mentioned, um, straight people who come into um, LGBTQ spaces, I think, have a bit of a responsibility to make sure that they, they clearly... Um, they clearly show that they're allies mm-hmm. and not spectators right. in the same way that if I went to a space that was identified, say, with African-Canadians or women, for example, that, that I go in there as an ally, not as a spectator. And if right. I'm there to be a spectator, then I'm better off to watch something on TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said. Uh, this text writes, there is still gay bashing. Gay people can't be naive. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, a lot of my youth deal with uh, bullying on a daily basis in their schools. Really? Yeah. I, still. Yeah. It's it's still a thing. I can I still walk, I was in a class uh, last week, and I was talking about like some of the the slurs mm-hmm. um, that get used about the community. And as an example of something I always do is I ask people, okay, if you've ever heard any of this used in your school, put your hands up. And every single hand in the class went up. And mm-hmm. then when I asked, okay, well, if if you have never used any of these terms that I have up on the board, put your hand down. And only two or three people put their hands down. Like a lot of people in that room had used a lot of these terms mm-hmm. and. In, and the thing that people who are not part of the community don't understand is like that immediately signals that that is not a safe person to come out to. Right. Because it might be innocuous, it might be innocent, but the the risk is still there for right. a lot of us. I think that's a good point is a lot of people may be clueless and, and using terminology they don't even know what they're saying. Uh, they may have grown up hearing it or, or what have you without actually being dangerous to, to, to somebody. But how do you know? Yes. And on how do you know? Hand, and on the other hand, there are people who are really malicious. Mm-hmm. I had a... A client who was 16 who was in mourning because uh, a parent had died and was coming to see me. And he was on the bus on Park Avenue. And just before I got off the bus, this elderly woman came up and walked over to him and went into his ear and said, faggot. Oh, wow. He was devastated. All he was doing was taking the bus. You know, and those kinds of things you just can't predict. And every single person has a story like that. That breaks my heart. Every single person has a story like that. And we need, I hope one day... Our youth and my kids' kids and, and so on will never hear those exactly those again. And, and we all need to, to work together. Well, I thank you guys for helping me um, sensitize and, and bring these issues out so that we can speak about it and, and people can, can learn. Because I do believe knowledge is power rather than uh, ignorance keeps us in uh in a bad space so thank you very much for uh, for being here david hawkins the director of the west island lgbt center what's the phone number there or the website or the facebook page so our phone number is 514-794-5428 you can also find us at lgbtq2center.com and it's a wonderful center by the way that has groups for uh kids uh, parents also of lgbt you have a, they have a senior center uh, and they have an amazing reputation. So keep doing that great work. It's Thank amazing. You. And uh, Bill Ryan, well, you can take his class at McGill yes. <laughs> School of Social Work, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's where he can be found uh, pretty much every day. So thank you guys for being here. Thanks to Dave Simon, our technical producer tonight. Uh, you can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito, B-E-T-I-T-O, or just go to my website, drlori.com, where you can pick up uh, this show and all past shows as well as podcasts. So if there's anything you missed, you can pick up the podcast. The titles are all uh, are all there and by 
by, by date as well. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.